0: Hmm. All right. Well, if you will take a copy of God's word and turn to First Timothy chapter three. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're taking a break this week from our series on Colossians uh, to talk about church officers. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1,263. And as you're able, if you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word. First Timothy 3, the saying is trustworthy. that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it directs us in all things that we need for life and godliness. So Father, as we look at this text uh, and qualifications for elders and deacons, we ask for a great movement of your spirit. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you're visiting with us today, today is a different kind of sermon. Uh, this is more of a, a teaching, uh, more of a lesson than it is a sermon. And we do this once a year as we begin the officer nomination uh, process. Uh, and so this is a little bit different than it, than it usually is. We're going through the book of Colossians right now, and so we're, we're just taking a break uh, this week, Lord willing. Uh, just to let you know, officer nominations open up today. You'll find the inserts in your bulletins. There's also a stack of them right outside the church office and there's a green box that you can put them in or you can put them in the offering plate or you can bring them by the church. You can email me or you can uh, mail it in. So there are a lot of great ways to get it, uh, to, get it to us. You, you have a month. And so please, uh, before you put someone's name in there, uh, just remember that uh, someone has to actually agree to, to be an elder or a deacon. Uh, so please talk to that man first. Uh, and it does take two nominations to be a valid uh, nomination for the, uh, for the, uh, for the office. Um, there will be a six-week training class for those who have not previously been through it. Uh, and we will figure out uh, the timing of that and schedule uh, once we see who's nominated um, and, uh, and make that best for everyone. Uh, so, uh, you know, church government is not something that's real exciting to talk about. Um, But it is vital. It is vital. Uh, Who makes the decisions? Uh, Who decides what's taught? Um, Who decides how we do baptism? Uh, What what are the qualifications to be a member of the church? What does it mean to be a member of the church? How do we decide what is taught in Sunday schools and, and who teaches? You know, churches don't split over the color of the carpet, right? You've heard these horror stories of people getting upset because someone wanted to paint one wall purple and the other one pink, and, and it got to be such, so contentious that the church split. The, the color of the carpet, the color of the walls, these things don't split a church. Uh, it's, it's who makes the decisions. And so it's vitally important that we know how the church is governed uh, to know what to expect and how things are run. The day-to-day operation of a church and how it is governed by elders and deacons is vitally important. Um, so, the first thing, though, we have to talk about is that Jesus is the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. The elders, the deacons, the pastor, none of those are the head of this church. In fact, we've looked at this recently in Colossians in chapter 1, verse 18. We read, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. You know, when you buy something, you own it. It belongs to you, and you're in charge of what happens to it. Did you know that the church has been purchased? Not our physical location, don't worry. Uh, The church has been purchased with the precious, unique, priceless blood of Jesus. It exists Because our God came into this world and laid down His life for His people. He was the head of His people, always has been from the very beginning. But doubly so now that He has come and shed His blood for us. And so that means very importantly that Jesus is the head of this church. And I would have you know that, it, that our elders and deacons, when we meet, we pray a lot because we recognize as we deal with difficult things, important decisions, even things that seem to be small decisions, we, we rely on Jesus who leads and guides the local congregation through His Word and through the Spirit. And so who is the head of First Presbyterian Church? It's Jesus. He is the head. As I've spoken with some of my Methodist uh, brothers who are pastors, and, and you know, they've they've recently, many Methodist churches have recently left the United Methodist uh, denomination, and, and we were talking about the issue of bishops. You know, we don't have bishops in the Presbyterian church, uh, and we believe that to be a biblical stance. Um, but I've begun thinking, as I've talked with my Methodist brethren, talk, thinking about Jesus is my bishop. In fact, we have that language that He is the overseer of our souls. And that, that's, that Greek word overseer is episkopos, from which we get the word bishop. He is your bishop. He is my bishop. He, he is our king and He is our master. He is our Lord. And we look to Him not only for our salvation, but for our continued sustenance and grace that we need each and every day. And that that involves every area of our lives, at home, at work, at play, and especially the church. Now God in His wisdom has always used officers in the Old Testament and the New to provide leadership for His people. You see this going all the way back, formally speaking, when Moses brought the people out of Egypt. Do you remember that he was having to do everything by himself? And his father-in-law, a very godly man, shows up, Jethro, and says, Hey, look, you dummy, this is not good. You can't do it. You can't do all this on your own. And so there was a whole structure that was built within the people of God to provide leadership at different levels. Now, this was really nothing new. It formalized what was already there. There were already elders within the tribes of Israel. So the church has always been led by elders. What is an elder? Uh, It is primarily to the elders that God has entrusted the spiritual leadership of the church. It is primarily to the elders that Christ has entrusted the spiritual leadership of the church. Now, there are two types of elders. You have teaching elders and ruling elders. Uh, All of the elders in our congregation that come from this congregation... Uh, The ones that you will see uh, serving communion today, they are ruling elders. Uh, The other kind of elder is a teaching elder, and I'm a teaching elder. A teaching elder is simply someone uh, who has been to seminary and ordained by presbytery, uh, which is the next level of government in our denomination, uh, to teach and to preach. I can administer the sacraments, uh, and I've been called as pastor. But There's something very important that you need to know that ruling elders and teaching elders have the exact same authority. The exact same authority. So just because I've been to seminary doesn't mean I have any more authority than our very godly ruling elders. And I'm very grateful for that. Because I'm 38. Some of these men have been elders longer than I've been alive. I don't mean that as a, hey, they're old kind of statement. Uh, I mean that as praise Jesus that we have men who have been serving the Lord our God in that office for that long. So that when we come together prayerfully, seeking the Lord through His Word and by His Spirit, we can make wise decisions. Now, uh, we don't always get it right, right. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the only one who is perfect. But we seek to do that which God desires for us. So, so, what does an elder do Is the session? The session is the, the uh, current body of elders uh, who have been elected uh, to, to govern. What is our role as, as the session? The first is to shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. That is our primary role, to shepherd the flock. Um, now, we might also call that pasturing. Uh, we don't have one pastor, though that is my title. Uh, Currently, we have seven pastors. We have six ruling elders, and then one teaching elder. And collectively, we have been tasked by God to shepherd, to pastor the congregation. That is to seek your welfare. That is to make sure that you are fed spiritually, and that when you have hard times or or you're struggling, that that we get to come alongside and love on you and help you through that season. That's what it means to pastor. That's what it means to be a ruling elder. Elders are also called to oversee the flock. Oversee the flock. This refers to uh, the, the session's role of organizational and administrative tasks. I, I don't like administration, uh, and yet I have to do a lot of it. Uh, and, and that's just part of the call of being an elder, is scheduling things and deciding when things are taught. Uh, you know, we have a, we've just finished a new members class, and we're about to start a communicants class. That's, that's part of the role of the session, to make sure those things are going on. Third, uh, elders are called to guard the flock. Guard the flock. You know, the ruling elders especially are in charge of what is preached from this pulpit. Uh, They are the ones who have to make sure that this pulpit, uh, that the, the word of God is preached from it. To make sure that heresy is not proclaimed from the pulpit or in Sunday school classes or in our Bible studies, and to protect the congregation from wolves that would come in. Jesus is real clear on this. He says, Watch out for that. It's going to happen. And that's the role, one of the roles of the elders. Finally, the role of the elders, one of the roles of the elders is to be an example to the flock. You know, it is said by many that as goes the officers of the church, so goes the church. As go the officers, so goes the church. Uh, it is our role as, as elders uh, to set an example in holiness and zeal and in purity and in, a, in zeal for evangelism, reaching the lost. So it is an incredibly high calling to be an elder or a deacon. They, they both have very uh, high callings. Uh, but that's what an elder is called to do. So, so who might be the man who is called to this? First, you must know as you think through men whom you would nominate to the office of elder or deacon, if you find the perfect one, run. Okay? Uh, Because no one fully and perfectly fits the qualifications. Uh, Jesus does. Let me back that up. Besides Jesus, no one uh, fully uh, fits all the qualifications. But I will say that does not mean that there's not an incredibly high standard for those who would seek to serve the Lord in ordained ministry as an elder or deacon. I don't want to remove the tension because Scripture is really clear about the, standard, the, the the high calling for elders and deacons alike. So I'm going to refer to these things in categories for time's sake rather than hitting every individual one. I do refer you, though, there's a handout uh, it's yellow this year, and it's right outside uh, the church office door with all the qualifications for elders and deacons. And feel free to grab one on the way out. The first about an, for an elder is he must be a man above reproach. A man above reproach. That's not a, a phrase that we use very much anymore. Uh, so what does it mean? It basically means, okay, if you were to ask this man's neighbor or his friend or put up a billboard and say, what do you know about this guy? good guy, bad guy. Uh, is he a high man of, of character or not? That's kind of what a being above reproach means. Uh, that someone might say, yeah, he, you know, he, he's, that one time he, you know, he got mad at me, but he came back and apologized. You know, that was really great. I mean, he, yeah, he has his faults. So, I man, that guy just loves Jesus. The, the, that's what it means to be above reproach. As such, he can't be a recent convert. That means he's, he's walked with Jesus for a while, well thought of by outsiders and respectable by the community. Is he respected by the community at large? Or, or would someone say, whoa, that person's an elder or deacon at your church? I don't know about that. That would, be, that would not be a good thing to hear. Uh, so think through those things. The second, though, is a, is, is a man with godly relationships. You know, being an elder, uh, being a pastor, and, by the way, a deacon, um, it's a highly relational calling as you're dealing with people. Uh, is this man someone who has an established track record of having good and godly relationships with people? And at the very top of the list... If he is married, you don't have to be married to be an elder or deacon. If you're married, then it must be a man who has managed his household well. Verses 4 and 5 of our text says, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So we might ask some questions. Are his children believers if they're still in the home? Are they believers? Um, Titus 1 asked this question, are are his children free from the charge of debauchery? But but of all, most important, when it comes to relationships, if he's married, is he a one-woman man? Is he committed to his wife? Is he committed to his wife? Is he a godly husband? You know, that's, that, that relationship is the most intimate in his life and it's the most important outside of Jesus. And so is this a man who is uh, patient, loving, and leads his wife well? All right, the, uh, kind of another umbrella is a man of, of blameless conduct, blameless conduct. Now, Paul's going to include in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, uh, seven positive and six negative qualities. So we're going to spend 10 minutes on each one of these 13 qualities. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's, let's kind of break these down. Uh, to be an elder, to be a deacon is to be a man of, of high character. Not perfect, but of high character. Um, let's talk about the positive ones quickly Is he sober-minded and self-controlled? Let me say that, you know, anytime that you get people together, a session or the diaconate, and you talk about difficult things, not everybody's going to agree. And that's okay. In fact, when we don't agree as elders and deacons, it, it honestly will lead often to a better outcome than we thought when we first came together. Because it forces us to stop and to listen to each other and pray for God's guidance Uh, and come to consensus, but a man must be self-controlled, and he must be sober-minded, and disciplined, and gentle if those conversations are going to go well. Uh, That's vitally important. And as he seeks to minister to the congregation, is he a lover of good? Does he call good good and evil evil? Is he upright and just? Is he holy and devout? Let me just summarize all those sayings to say, Is he walking with Jesus? Is this man walking with Jesus? An elder is especially called to point people to Jesus. And if an elder is not uh, seeking Jesus, he won't be able to point to Jesus. So look for a man who has a deep walk with the Lord uh, to nominate. Negatively, Paul says he can't be violent, a lover of money, an arrogant man quick-tempered, or quarrelsome. And you can't be a drunkard. Okay, so that's, that's a qualification for elders and deacons. Can't be a drunkard. Uh, you know, Jesus drank, and so it's okay to drink uh, in moderation. Um, but there's real danger in our culture, isn't there, uh, of drinking too much. And, you know, when you drink, it makes things feel better for a little while. Um, and that's, that's just not Okay. That's not what God calls us to. He wants something better for us. And so you you look to a man's use of alcohol to see if this is a helpful nomination or not. Is he a man, finally, of faithful witness and ministry? For elders and deacons alike, we are called to nominate men who are already doing the work of the church. You don't nominate a man uh, because you think he probably might do a good job at this. Instead, you find men who are already doing it. You know, they're not going to be able to do as much because they don't have the, the official role as an elder. They're not in the session meetings, that kind of stuff. But, but someone who's loving on the congregation, uh, who's already pointing people to Jesus, who has a reputation of, of caring for those around him. Um, hospitable. Does he know the Word and the Gospel? You know, the, the, the big thing that, that divides... That's not the right word... Um, Uh, that delineates the call between an elder and a deacon is elders are especially called to be apt to teach. Elders have to be able to teach. That doesn't mean that that deacons can't teach. We've got some great deacons who are great teachers. But an elder must be called not to teach a seminary-level class, but to be able to fill in on a Sunday morning. We've had elders fill this pulpit because I got sick Sunday mornings. Uh, that was uh, Earl. I remember calling you that time. That was pretty exciting for you, I think. Uh, and uh, and Earl did a great job. You know what? He stood up here and he faithfully proclaimed the word of God. Uh, and that's that's what an elder is called to do—to uh, be able to teach a Sunday school class if if needed. So uh, so elders, elders are called uh, to, uh, uh, to to shepherd God's people, to set the spiritual tone of the church. And so we look for men who have walked with Jesus for a long time, uh, and when it comes to godliness, character, and service, they have a proven track record. What is a deacon? What is a deacon? Well, uh, so new, the new, it is a New Testament office. Uh, it did not exist in the Old Testament, though there were analogs of it. You had uh, the, uh, the Levites in the Old Testament who helped the priests, uh, by the time that the synagogues had come around, you actually had kind of a, a chief guy who was in charge of the logistics of the meeting, and so really you could say before Christ instituted uh, the uh, the office of deacon, Acts chapter six, um, that there was some sort of office like a deacon, but it wasn't really until Acts chapter six that you get the official office of deacon. And let me tell you what happens in that passage. For Tom's sake, uh, you had the apostles who were teaching and preaching. The church was growing leaps and bounds. You had, had thousands of converts by the time you get to Acts chapter 6. And they were not only teaching and preaching, but also caring for the widows and the poor. Uh, and people were, some of these, especially the widows, were reliant on a daily distribution of food. And there just weren't enough hands to do it. The apostles couldn't do it all. And some of these things began to fall through the cracks. And so the apostles went to the, the people, the church, uh, the believers, and said, hey... Uh, Choose men, seven men from among you, uh, and we will lay hands on them and we will appoint them to this work. Uh, And they now were in charge of those logistical things. But let me tell you, this was not a logistics office. It's not UPS, you know, they're the logistics people. You can't outsource the office of deacon. Because do you remember who the first chairman of the diaconate was? Stephen. And what's, what's remarkable about Stephen? He was the first martyr. And so actually in Acts 7, you see him uh, preaching, right? And, and teaching God's people and doing evangelism. Uh, so the office of deacon is not uh, subpar. It's not inferior. And I hope that's not the view of our church. I have I, been in other churches in my life where that was the case where deacons were seen as stepping stones, the probationary period, in order to be an elder. And y'all, there can't be anything more ungodly than that approach. The office of elder and deacon are distinct, two separate roles. And you will have men who will serve as elders who will never serve as deacons, and you'll have deacons who will never serve as elders. Now, sometimes there's flip-flop. We actually have had men who said, you know, I think I'm actually more called to be a deacon. Uh, and so they've stepped off the session to become a deacon. We've had that happen. Uh, and we've had, we've had the reverse happen as well. Uh, so so I, I really need to convince you of this. The Bible sees the two offices of the church as both vitally important, and, the, and we know that because the qualifications for deacons is just as high as that of elders. And in some places, it's actually higher. Higher. Um, so what, are, what, are deacon, what do deacons do? Well, they do deal with more of the physical logistics of the church. Uh, our deacons are very busy, very busy, uh, keeping our uh, over 100-year-old church going, the building. The congregations have been here along with that. Um, it's an old building. It's phenomenal. It's a fantastic building. You, you, we just built the, the, rebuilt the portico. That was really exciting. Uh, and, and, you, and we've nailed you in. You know, you, you can't get out that way, so I can preach at you longer. Uh, and so th- the deacons have been charged charge of all those things, but they're not just in charge of those things. They're in charge of mercy cases. They're in charge of walking alongside folks when they need help, not just financially, but figuring out how to do finances. We've done that. We've done financial counseling between deacons and, and, uh, and people in the community and members. Uh, they're in charge of and are, are so helpful in visiting uh, our, our widows and our old folks. Um, our elderly—I think that's a better way to put it—they uh, are, you know, our, our food distribution on Wednesday nights. Uh, that comes straight from Acts six of our deacons going out with the food. Um, they they also help just in pastoral situations. In fact, you know, deacons are much more visible than elders. One of our uh, students said, "What do elders do? They sit around, right?" Uh, <laughs> Well, there's actually some truth to that. Uh, the elders sit around and we pray and we talk about you know these sorts of things, uh, but deacons are, are very active. And if the elders disappeared, uh, you'd probably recognize, you'd probably see it uh, on Communion Sunday. We'd be scrambling. Uh, the deacons, it would be very hard to meet. Our deacons are, are very integral to the call of the church. Um, in, in fact, well, there's this great... Phrase that uh, we find in Acts chapter 6 to describe them. They must be full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. They are called to be men of God who have been walking with Jesus for some time, who keep short accounts with God and with neighbor. They must be dignified and of good repute, just like the elders. Uh, you know, Especially because deacons are much more visible Their reputation in the community sometimes is far more important than that of an elder. Now, elders have to have good reputations too. But the deacons are are much more involved in the community. Uh, They they must not be double-tongued. That is, saying one thing and doing another. Uh, They can't be a drunkard or greedy. We talked about the drunkenness thing earlier. Um, Men of God, they are called to seek the Lord... ...and therefore be filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom... Uh, and holding fast to the mystery of the faith. They must be tested in proven men, uh, folks who have already been serving the Lord and His church, managing His household and children well. He must have a deep walk with the Lord, uh, especially in the area of walking with His wife. They must have a, a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship. And in 1 Timothy 3.11, we see that their wives must be believers as well. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. That applies to to elders as well. A godly marriage, uh, that might be an example for the congregation uh, and out of that healthy relationship being a place to uh, minister to God's people from a healthy uh, place and a healthy heart. So how does this point us to Jesus? How does this point us to Jesus as we conclude? Jesus is the chief deacon. Uh, There's there's a verse in Mark chapter 10, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me tell you what the Greek says. For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, that's the word, deacon, uh, but to deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. He came to serve. And He is the great shepherd. He is the great elder of the sheep. And so elders and deacons, we are called to serve our chief deacon, our chief shepherd, our chief pastor, as under-shepherds, as under-deacons, as we minister to God's people, always proclaiming the one who came and died for us, that we might have life. You know, we are about expanding the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of First Presbyterian Church, not the kingdom of our own little hearts, but pointing people to the Lord for outside of him there is no hope, but there is hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, uh, we pray for this process now of nominations and electing and choosing officers. Oh, Lord God, please superintend this process Uh, Bless us with great elders and deacons. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.